Hello, my name is Declan Deneen, welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode of Guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. And my guest today, I'm very excited to welcome Paul Rose to the show, aka Mr. Biffo. Now this is a tricky one because, you know, I've got quite a an international audience. So for the British people listening, you know exactly who Mr. Biffo is. Mr. Biffo wrote Digitizer, which was a teletext page for many years. He's gone on to be a writer, a TV writer. He writes for a bunch of amazing kids' TV shows. Um, but for Americans, I'm not even sure if they know what teletext is. Um, so if, if you don't, teletext is basically like a, like a rubbish version of the internet. So each TV channel in the UK had its own teletext page, which was like a very blocky pixelated text service and it had like news and sports and things and channel 4 specifically had digitizer which was the video game page which mr biffo uh, created and worked for for many many years and it's kind of like the best way to describe it, i think is, is it's almost like the bridge between um magazines and and the internet because you know it retains that kind of British sense of humor and that kind of club mentality that you got from old video game magazines, but it was you know it was daily uh, daily updates and news and reviews and it was it was amazing. I mean, from my own personal experience, I know lots of video game writers who who were hugely influenced by uh, by Mr. Biffo's uh, work. Um, as as ridiculous a sentence as that sounds, um, but genuinely, like he was it was a huge influence on on video game writing in in the UK. And he's just a wonderful man. This is a, an amazing chat. Um, unfortunately, we were beset by technical problems. Uh, essentially, the Skype chat just kept dropping out. I think I've edited the worst of it. Hopefully, most of it should be quite seamless. But there are one or two kind of edits that I just I couldn't edit around, so I put in a little bit of music. It doesn't really detract from the show at all. I'm just pre-warning uh, people. Uh, so it's an amazing episode. Um, as always, if this is your, your first episode, I encourage you to go back and listen listen to the archives uh, last week's episode for instance with edmund mcmillan who created uh, super meat boy and binding of isaacs that was a, a hugely popular episode i was really um really touched by some of the messages i got from people and just the, the number of downloads and stuff so you know hopefully those people will continue to listen and if this is your first episode please dig into the archives and uh, and keep listening because there's loads of good stuff coming up in fact at the end of the year i, I was toying with the idea of doing a christmas special but I, i'm Unfortunately, don't think I'm going to have the time, but the last four episodes of the the year are all going to be with uh, developers and creators who who have had a part in some of the, the some of my favorite games of the year. So we've got Jonathan Burrows, who's one of the creators of Virginia, and Alex Preston, who created Hyperlight Drifter, Zach Gage, who made Really Bad Chess, and A.P. Thompson, the creator of Beglitched, uh, which is a wonderful game. A really strong finish to the year, I think. Uh, but if you enjoy the show. Uh, please do tell a friend rate and review on iTunes um, telling a friend is, is the best thing and it's hugely appreciated if you really like the show there's a Patreon page as well which is patreon.com forward slash checkpoints if you have the extra money and you feel like you want to contribute and help make the show even better it's massively appreciated 
As always, if you'd like to get in touch, it's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or at checkpointshow on Twitter or checkpointspodcast on Facebook because it's very important to have consistent branding. Okay, that's enough for now. I'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest. Until then, let's get on with the show. I wonder. I guess we'll wait and see once uh, we start talking. Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll uh, yeah have to suck it and see, as they say. How's it going? How is your your Tuesday so far? Um, yes, it's been completely unproductive. I've ended up playing Titanfall Two on my PS4 instead of doing any work. Which um, is it good? Uh, that's how much it's going. Uh, it's great. Really good game. Yeah. yeah Are you playing yeah. multiplayer or single player? Or both. Uh, I I I just finished the single player campaign, so I'm, I'm on the multiplayer now. It's uh, yeah, it's lovely. Is the single player as good as everyone seems to think it is? It really is, and it's deceptively so because it, it yeah, when it starts out, it feels like oh here we go, it's Halo, it's Gears of War, but um, actually it's deceptively clever. Is it? But will yeah, I call you Paul or, or Biffo? It's, it's, it feels weird calling you Paul, but I suppose that is your name. Uh, I, I'm easy. I mean, I, there are people that call me Biffo. Violet calls me Biffo. Still. Okay. Um, so. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, there's going to be loads of like insightful, wonderful questions, I'm sure. But let's let's start with something a bit more trad. So where does where does Biffo come from? Where is Mister Biffo? Where does that name come from? Uh, it's. It, I, I really wish it was a, an exciting, funny story. But it's from Biffo the Bear, who was in, I think, the Dandy comic. Um, oh, yeah, of course. When I was writing. Yeah, you remember him? Yeah, yeah. Biffo. He was, it, it was weird, because I always thought he looked more like a monkey than a bear. <laughs> um, he, was, he didn't have the build of a, of, a, of a bear, which, ironically, I do now. Um, <laughs> uh, he was quite sort of thin-limbed. Um, but he, uh, we, we went through this phase of using the word Biffo uh, and Corky the Cat. I don't know if you remember Corky the Cat. I do, yeah, uh, I do. We went through... Yeah, he was his uh, stable mate. We went through this phase of using them as uh, kind of slang terms to describe something that was good, that, um, that something that was big or cork. So uh, it kind of came from that. We're looking for names to hide behind on Digitizer, uh, and I just plucked that out of the air. There was no massive meaning behind it. It was just a word that amused us at the time. That's disappointing. <laughs> I don't know what that was all about. Very strange. Okay, okay. Well, let's uh, start again. Act like that never happened. So, <laughs> Paul, <laughs> a.k.a. Mr. Biffo, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. If you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, well, these days I'm a screenwriter. I used to be a games journalist um, for a thing called Digitizer on Channel 4 Teletext, which is, is probably the thing that most people remember me for. And since it's kind of current and it's just happened recently, um, you should talk about your, your Kickstarter. Yes, I should talk about that. And um, I don't know if it'll be finished by the time this comes out. But, if but it you've, already, you've already hit your goal, though, right? Uh, yeah, I hit my goal within 24 hours. Uh, well, check now you out. Yeah, I know. What a, what a show off. 
Um, but yeah, we're we're heading towards our our second stretch goal now, which originally I mean, it's, I should say what it's for. Shouldn't yeah, I? yeah, it's absolutely. It's a thing called um, yeah, an online uh, comedy show called Found Footage, which um, it'll be kind of a sketch show, but it'll be like buying a, a an old VHS from a car boot sale and popping it in and just seeing lots of strange things um, pop up. <laughs> I haven't sold it at all. That sounds <laughs> awful. Uh, but it'll be great. It'll be really funny. But go and look at um, Mr. Biffo's found footage on Kickstarter. And uh, if you like the look of it, give me some money. And what prompted you to, to do that? Because obviously, like, you work in TV anyway. Is this just, like, an idea you've always wanted to do? Uh, it's it's a combination of things. I did uh, I did some videos which have now kind of served as a sort of backdoor pilot for, for want of a better phrase for uh, a digitizer festival that, that I ran last month and I put them online and people really loved them and said they wanted more and I thought well it would be nice to kind of well a not have to delve quite so deeply into my own pocket to pay for them absolutely um, but but actually have the budget to do something that was a little bit more ambitious uh, than what I managed to do before so um so that's part of the reason and another part of the reason is that yeah my day job is i mainly write kids tv but it, it's typically much as i love it um about kind of writing to other people's briefs and yeah. and um placing producers and the like so i did something that's mine or is going to be mine um and you know everyone who's backed it seems to kind of have faith in just letting me get on with it really and, and seeing what i come up with so uh, it's very lovely of them that's super exciting and, and that's like that's kind of a, a testament to the sort of mr biffo legacy that so many people kind of grew up re- reading teletext as, as absurd and antiquated as that somehow seems though um it's clearly yeah, well, that's part of the reason why yeah well i've gone for this kind of uh old school kind of glitchy vhs look really is because i was trying to come up with something that felt as archaic as as teletext does which is is what people as you say know me for, from so uh and, and i hit upon that and it seemed to sort of suit my style of humor somehow um but yeah it's uh, as you say archaic that that's what i'm aiming for oh that's i think that's that's totally appropriate everything is kind of um that's all kind of in vogue again now like if you i saw someone tweeting about this the other day like you look around fancy dress or like halloween parties and stuff for kids and it's it's like 1984 everyone's dressed as like ghostbusters and transformers and stuff yeah it's ridiculous <laughs> it's very true yeah so yeah, i'm trying to trying to evoke some of that something that that kind of at least on the surface feels nostalgic but yeah. actually isn't well let's uh well let, let let's get nostalgic so um this is a show about video games after all so mr biffo what was your very first experience of a video game well, it's, I mean, God, it's a long time ago, so they all slightly, at, at that end of my gaming history, all, all blur into one a bit. But I think uh, I think it was kind of a Pong-type game on a, a Binatone console, if you remember those. Yeah, yeah. Um, which uh, I don't, weirdly, I don't remember whether it was mine or my sister's, but we definitely had one in the house. Uh, and I remember playing a light gun shooting game on it it was one of these consoles that you know you had 15 games built in and they're all variations of pong i've but, seen but that light gun. Light gun. It, it, it's got an amazing name um because i saw they had i went to the national video game arcade last year and they had one of those yep. on display they had the binatone gun and it's I need, I need to look it up because it's such a good name 
It's called the Thunder Cult. That's why it's stuck in my head. Thunder Cult. That, isn't that brilliant? Crap. Yeah. No, I don't remember that at all. But was it like, so was that just like another toy in the house? It wasn't anything kind of life changing or anything like that? Um, I guess it, I guess it must have had some effect on me. Uh, the main, the main thing I remember playing is, I mean, I remember Pong being on there and uh, what they claim to be hockey or football or soccer or something that had kind of just moved. You had two paddles each side instead of one. Yeah. But the, the shooting game, I really remember because I learned that you could cheat on a sunny day by kind of basically just having the windows open and the sun shining on the TV. <laughs> and I could rack up a high score by doing that. That's the nuclear so, option, um, basically. Yeah, yeah. Which sort of took the fun out of it, I suppose. But I, I yeah, I guess it was a toy because I can remember sort of just kind of diving around the room and sort of ducking behind the sofa and shooting at the TV with this thing. So, uh, yeah, it was a toy. Yeah, absolutely. Which is what they are and that's what they should be, I think. Absolutely. Um, so did you like as most of British kids, uh, did you graduate onto like the home computers, the BBC Micro, or the Spectrum? Well, the the next one for me would have been the it was the Atari Two Six Hundred, uh, and we I remember going and renting games, which was a big thing back then. Um, back when kind of you had a Betamax and v, VHS section in uh, in Rumbelows. I mean, all the kind of white goods. Yeah, kind of yeah, kitchen yeah. accessible shops. Yeah, they always had um, a video section. I remember going in there, but th- there was one near where I lived which had a, a big section for renting Atari games, and I can remember going and doing that. And then from there, it was uh, the, the the next one was probably the Spectrum. That was that was my that was the point at which I really fell in love with games. And do you remember like anything specific, any specific game that you're like, oh man, this is this is some next level stuff. Um, well, it was fairly early on because I, I, I remember I got it for Christmas. Um, I mean, God, it must have been what, Christmas 82, something like that. Uh, and my dad had unboxed it the night before and learned how to program something really basic. So I came down at Christmas uh, that morning and the TV was on and the Spectrum was in front of it and flashing up on the screen was a, a message saying Merry Christmas, Paul. And it was oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so that was very exciting. Um, and then... Because usually the everyone just used thing... to write insults on that, so it's nice that he had a nice message. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ten, yeah, print bum, 20 <laughs> go to ten. That was, that I'm was sure classic. you would have enjoyed that just as uh, much, to be fair. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, no, I graduated onto that very, very quickly, <laughs> don't you worry. Um, so, yeah, and then I remember the first two games I got were 3D Haunted Hedges uh, and um, horace and the spiders and horace and the spiders it was that was it really that was the one that kind of made me go just wow this yeah i've played it since and it's terrible but at the time it was it was just a revelation and funny as well like this is one of those th- yeah things weird well yeah weird but but like it has that level of absurdity like I, i've i've because i talk to people a lot about the sort of video game histories it's always there's some some shift happened at some point where like the kind of the kind of jovial, I hate to use the word banter, but banter of kind of, especially like British games and the British kind of games press, which, which you like are very much yeah. part of that lineage, kind of just kind of died off a little bit. You don't get that so much anymore. I, th- I think it's become more global, really. And the, yeah. the games media now, you know, the games websites, because you don't really have games magazines, a global audience. Uh, yeah, because it gets them the hits and the, the advertising revenues. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think I think 
you know, it has lost its its distinctly British sort of sense of humour that was kind of steeped in Python and the like. I mean, you know, you look at Jet Set Willy, and yeah. that was, you know, it even started with the or ended with the foot going down on him. You know, pure Python esque touch. So uh, yeah, we have lost that. But that was you kind of in. You were like, right, I'm into games now. This is my thing. Like, did you get into yeah, the programming I, I, side of it and stuff? No, I mean, I tried. I, I remember trying to program some simple text adventure and not getting very far. It, it seemed like a lot of work once I realized how many sort of various rooms I had to kind of go off of the flowchart. I thought, <laughs> you know, this is this is a lot of work. I'll leave it to other people. But the yeah, the playing of it, that was, you know, it, it, it sort of could transport you. Another game that I really remember quite early on was um, a game called Seedab Attack. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, which was it was baddie spelt backwards ah nice and it was uh yeah yeah i mean yeah, i didn't realize this till years later when i was an adult and i think i read it probably i probably read it in retro game or something like that uh and um it was a first person game and it was all set at night it was really, really clever the graphics they were very they just basically used dots or full stops of the, the sort of assy text um uh alphabet to create kind of 3d buildings kind of city blocks and you just okay, drove around cool. that in a tank you know in a kind of battle zone way but that was you know because it was first person it's sort of you know i was there i was in my my space tank shooting at aliens and was it like was it um mainly just yourself that was playing it or did you have like brothers and sisters or like a community of friends you built up around games um I, my sisters were quite a bit older than me so generally i, I kind of just played with 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 them on my own but i mean i had friends at school but most of my friends had other systems they either had, you know so you know commodore 64 um the bbc or my poor friend john who had uh, an oric atmos for some reason <laughs> poor john <laughs> I, I don't know what happened there <laughs> you are you were either you know uh, yeah you're either spectrum commodore or if your your parents had a lot of money you're a bbc but no then there was john kind of out <laughs> on his own with this this oric atmos which i do remember had a really cool um a really cool flight simulator which uh of course he, it he showed me that if you of course and it was really good you kind of flew high enough and you could see stars and i remember us us trying to make this plane go into space and and kind of making it go up for i don't know about half an hour to an hour or something like that and he was like oh you know i swear this this really did happen once um, and we gave up in the end so i don't <laughs> know if you ever ever did actually see stars if you flew high enough and were you like were you particularly um kind of tribal about your system like no this is the best this is the one that works um i guess so i mean i, I i've certainly as the years have gone on i play up to that a bit more but um i think maybe if i had had more friends who had a spectrum i I perhaps would have been a bit more tribal but because most of my mates had different systems to one another there wasn't quite that tribalism um but you know i I was fairly confident that i had the best system and that you know we had all the well we had all the ultimate games you know you had get set willy you know they they eventually started coming out on the commodore 64 and the like but but we had them first and i don't know there was something about the spectrum that the i don't know it seemed to inspire creativity in the people that were making games for it the games just seemed to have that that extra edge of of either quirkiness or or just genius yeah no absolutely and like kind of way ahead of the time as well like i spoke to uh mel croucher on the show last year who made like oh, wow. deus ex machina and pymania and stuff and just 
the things they they were attempting to do if nothing less was it was just it was so ahead of its time and just kind of yeah so elaborate that they kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit um, and especially because of piracy it was like a lot of that was kind of lost because it's just everyone's tape traded anyway yeah i mean I, I probably shouldn't admit it but deus ex machina i remember you know that i remember getting a, a tape of of that off a mate with with the audio as well um, oh with the audio as well yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we had i he did me both it was it was a very complex pirating uh <laughs> system uh but you know it was yeah I, at the time you didn't think anything of it because everyone everyone did it and you Absolutely, know it was quite yeah. exciting to, to get a c90 with kind of you know 20 games on there and often i wouldn't know what the games were and i'd kind of just go through them one by one and it was but but it's weird as i got older i you know i mean i i God, I'd never even pirated music during the sort of heyday of Napster and the likes of that, you know, because I like having the physical product. It's you know, partly why I don't download games even now, which, yeah. you know, I'm probably going to get left behind. But I, I like, you know, the value of having something in your hand. Um, well, let, let's sort of move on then. So where, how did your sort of relationship with games grow? Were you kind of all in? Were you into the magazines and kind of, I want the next thing, I want the next thing? Yeah, I mean, the... the the mags at the time are so important to to being a you know a, a, a games owner you yeah. know or being a spectrum owner so was it was they, they, you know and the the you know it was what really sold it to me was the the, the way that you know they they had a personality and you kind of got to know the people behind them and so it became more than just uh you know reading about the latest reviews or whatever you kind of felt that they were your mates and i think it comes back to that thing that you sort of said about it being tribal i did but certainly i did have mates who worked on the magazines of a spectrum owners you know the yeah, editors yeah, yeah. and the writers you know and that that's what they did brilliantly back in the day was was you know you kind of got to know each of them and their sort of idiosyncrasies and oh totally so, it was um, and that was like the first know, kind of internet as well i mean obviously not the internet but that was the first sort of sense that you were part of a, a wider community you know it felt felt good especially when games were still pretty nerdy which they're not so much anymore yeah i mean i think uh i think it might have something to do with the way that you know the kind of games media is changing and it's becoming much more about youtubers and uh, yeah. you know individuals than and kind of the Kotaku's and Games Radars because the, the no offense to the people writing for them because they're all good writers but I think because they're kind of going for this more kind of global audience uh, the sense I I get is that the uh, individuality isn't kind of appreciated in the way that perhaps I got away with you yeah. know when I was writing Digitizer and and the likes of Crash and CVG um, were able to get away with yeah partly because they were sort of you know little gangs of mates just kind of writing <laughs> you know, to amuse themselves absolutely so um and but i think because of the slightly sort of, i don't know tribal nature of gaming or the 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 sense of it being quite sort of um insular and uh, people do want those personalities um you know to turn to um that they can trust so you know you see the gym's sterlings on youtube and you know they're hugely popular i don't think that the, the games websites necessarily offer that no not at all but it's a shame you don't get the sort of communal aspect of it like as in a community of 
of writers and personalities under one umbrella. I always, I always enjoyed that aspect, and that's the one thing that's kind of missing, I think. But you know, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, games writing's better than ever. You know, oh, the, totally. The, the level of it is, it's fantastic. But yeah, what we what we lack is just the sheer quirkiness of you know. I can't really tell Euro Gamer from Games Radar. You know, it's because they're all writing about similar things. You know, there was much more of of a sense of of them kind of fighting each other for yeah. exclusives back in the day when it was all about magazines. So yeah, they all felt like they had something that stood out and i think like purely based on you know people i know who work in games now and like conversations i've had with people who used to work on all these magazines um the the kind of the difference between constantly rolling news and a monthly deadline like is massive you have like much more time to kind of yeah craft something rather than just to get this out immediately all the time yeah, it's huge pressure. I mean, we had a bit of that on Digitizer, you know, we were daily. So I know, suppose, yeah, you would of, have been like on the, guess, the cutting edge of that, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. But um, I don't know. We were so unprofessional in other ways that it didn't ever feel like <laughs> pressure. <laughs> but, but but given how you've kind of, how you went on, obviously, to work on Digitizer, was that, was the magazines like something you thought you could do? Like, did you ever get have an inkling of I'd like to work in games or with games in some fashion? Nope, never. It it completely happened by accident. Uh, you know, it, it's really weird that I've I've ended up, you know, with the the kind of career trajectory that I've had because all of it has felt slightly accidental. Uh, <laughs> and yes, certainly, Digi Digi was not a uh, was not part of the plan when I left school. But you'd always so so like let's just to carry on with like you were growing up. Were you always just playing games? Like, did you get the consoles? Or did you kind of ever shift away from them a bit? Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it was I was I was a big gamer as a kid, but I mean, I it wasn't all that I was into. You know, it was oh, of course, it, it wasn't the be all end all. So, but I did, I guess, when I left, I was going to say when I left school, I sort of drifted away from them a bit. But I don't think that's true actually. Now I think back because I I remember buying an Atari ST. No, I got an Atari ST for Christmas off my parents when I was, I think, 16. And then with my first full-time pay packet, which I would have would have also been 16, I bought a Master System. Um, and so I was still gaming, but I never used the Master System much. So there was a, a, a period probably of a couple of years until the Mega Drive came out where I, I wasn't playing games as much. You know, it was, I guess I was, you know, I, I was a, teenager and going out and going to the pub with my mates instead of sitting Absolutely, at home playing yeah. games and there was no wipeouts equivalent on the master system unfortunately no, <laughs> unless you want no, some no, late night alex kid sessions that. yeah oh yeah well yeah alex kid I, I liked a bit of alex kid i've got to say oh i loved it absolutely loved it but that was like the only game that was the first game i ever had and pretty much the only game i had for about a year so it was this a pivotal game for me yeah, it's weird because I, I, I don't really remember. The only ones games I remember having on the Master System were Alex Kidd and Spy vs. Spy. I, I must have had other games, but I honestly cannot remember what they were. It's really odd. So if you weren't um, if you weren't thinking of working in games or getting into games, what, what was what was your plan? Did you have any kind of aspirations to, to do something? Well, I was I was always kind of artistic at school. Well, that was that was my thing. Um, yeah, I was good at art. Uh, so okay. part of me 
uh, wanted to be a, a comics artist and I, I tried to get into 2000 AD and I nearly did. Um, I got offered a spec script on Judge Dredd, believe it or not. How exciting. Um, and then, it was exciting. And then for some reason, um, I, I did the artwork on massive sheets of A3 paper. Like, like huge, like kind of like three <laughs> times the size that they needed to be. And I went back into the office and went, oh, finished. And he was like, why, why have you done this? We can't use this. Go and do it again. And I went away and I didn't do it again uh, for some reason. I, I, I just, um, he was so disappointed with what I'd turned in. And I could see it in his eyes. Richard Burton, who was uh, not the Richard Burton, um, but Richard Burton, who was Tharg at the time. Um, he was really kind of, baffled by it and i think i was so upset and hurt by that i didn't didn't feel confident enough to to try again so i never did i could have been <laughs> doing judge Dredd. Um, oh that that's a proper so, like uh, you know alternate universe moment right there yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much if only had used a4 uh, yeah yeah i know sliding doors uh so uh yeah so it was that and graphic design was my thing you know i had a job uh, Labbrook's racing animating horses uh, and oh, amazing. doing kind of yeah doing kind of screen displays um, in their bedding shops and then I went from there to Wembley Stadium animating kind of the word goal in various different ways on their scoreboard um, so that you that's know, again, that's a really that's cool job to have had though like that's that's like oh, our yeah. you know <laughs> I played the bongos on the theme of Mission Impossible kind of like cool job yeah yeah no it was um it was it was just a bizarre job uh yeah there was very little work to do um but <laughs> you know it, it was it was you know i used to get bored and go and mess about with the, the scoreboard you know just for my own entertainment and put things up on there and sadly it was the in the days before smartphones so i haven't got any photographic evidence of of anything that i ever did but um oh that's heartbreaking but, you know, but, yeah i know i wish i wish i'd had the the foresight to take a camera into work or something but i never did uh, there is there is somewhere on the internet um a clip of well there are a couple of clips of things i did a, an animated coca-cola logo and uh i think i saw an fa cup a picture of the fa cup that i did and um i think there's a the freddie mercury tribute concert after he died uh, the first thing the bbc showed when they they broadcast it live as a graphic that I did of Freddie Mercury, and that's that's somewhere online. So you know, little things like that. That that was that was the first thing I ever had on TV was my Freddie Mercury graphic. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was big pixels were my thing. You know, it was it was yeah. You know, whether they're scoreboard lights or you know teletext blocks, that that was my thing. So, but I went from from there to to. Te- Teletext, um, and you know, accidentally ended up right in the video game section, having been employed as a, a graphic designer. That's that's crazy. Like, so how? You, I've I've got so many questions. So first off, right, you're you're an artist. You're trying to get a job on 2000 AD, and then you move into these goal things, and they're all in big pixels. So surely the next logical step would be, oh, I'll, I'll see if I can do video games. I'll see if I can make little video game characters. Uh, no, it, it never crossed my mind. Uh, I honestly don't know why. I, I, there was there was an element of of me not really being terribly ambitious. Uh, I, I I kind of just went where jobs took me. Um, and you know the, the the Wembley job came about because my sister had found an advert in the 
paper and went, oh, you should apply for this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. And then the Teletext job was because someone that I'd worked with at Labbrooks had, you know, tipped off someone that he worked with at Teletext and they rang me up out the blue. And so... So I, 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 I've, I've never been massively <laughs> ambitious, really. So, it, yeah, it was as long as I was kind of, you know, paying the bills and, you know, entertaining myself, then, uh, you know, I was all right, really. So what was the, the, the teletext job then? Was that like in, is that, was it like a teletext building that you would go into? Was it all kind of remote? Uh, yeah, there was back in the, back in the, the beginning. It was uh, all in-house, um, in a, uh, as I learned recently, in a, a bunch of old horse stables that um, nice. Is it, uh, oh God, uh, Donald Cat. Is it Donald Campbell? Who did um, I don't know if it was Donald Campbell or his father. One of the Campbells, anyway, who, who broke the uh, water speed record. Okay, uh, they, that's where he built his craft. Um, I, I want to say Donald Campbell, but. Um, uh, I'm, I'm fumbling around this because I went back there recently to where Teletext used to be, and it's it's all, all gone, barring the entry gates, which have got a blue plaque on it about um, talking about the uh, this this history with Donald Campbell and Bluebird. But I seem to remember it not being Donald Campbell. So anyway, so Teletext, um, yeah, it was it was all in house. So you know they just picked up the the license for um, the Channel Four and ITV Teletext um franchise from uh, oracle and you know they they had big plans to um uh you know turn it into a real sort of magazine and entertainment service which oracle had had a bit of that but it was mainly kind of news focused yeah so you know i was i was employed as the the, the graphics guy and you know I, I i was quick you know that was that was one of my things i was always very fast at doing graphics so I, i'd kind of get all my work done in the first hour of the day and sit around bored so first of all I, I came up with a comic strip called turn of the worm for the kids section um and that did you make turn of the worm going, oh. yeah yeah i used to read turn of the worm every day i had no idea that you made that that was me yeah yeah so i used to i just made it up as i went along um so i did that and that took another half an hour of, of out of my week and i still had nothing to do so they were asking this is prior to teletext going on air they were asking for people to suggest um sections for their service and i suggested a video game section and they said um okay well you can ride it with this other chap called tim moore who was kind of uh writing for the teen pages at the time and and so that was it really and and i kind of started to fall in love with with writing more than doing graphics but and i i'm assuming you would have got like a bunch of uh, a bunch of games too it's very exciting yeah well yeah that was certainly one of the perks of the job and something we had to um you know neither of us had, had written anything about video games ever so we didn't know the first thing about how you go about getting free games but um it was certainly one of the loveliest parts of the job was you know every literally every single day the yeah the postman would arrive with a big stack of free stuff it was awesome um yeah and, <laughs> and did you have like anything uh, anything specific in mind that you wanted to to say or do or it's like i'd like to write about video games that'd be fun well no because yeah when i suggested this this section to the editor it wasn't with the intention that i was going to write it it was it was just something i'll give it to one of the journalists to do you know but look you know it would be a really good thing for teletext to have uh, and um they sort of you know took me by surprise really by saying no no you're going to do it and it's like oh okay well i don't don't know how to write really 
really. So I had to, I had to learn on the fly. So I had no, there were no big plans for what it could be, or you know, we were just going to copy what the mags to do. We see you had news, you had reviews, um, letters, tips, and you know, a, a charts page. And how, like, how did you find that? Was it like exciting? Was it a bit um, stressful and terrifying, or was it just like this is a laugh? Why not? No. It was yeah. It was literally the coolest thing ever. You know, <laughs> was, there was no stress whatsoever from me. It was just um, yeah. It was my god. You know, it was like I'm suddenly out of nowhere. Uh, not that I ever thought of myself as a video games journalist or a journalist whatsoever. Not for many many years um, afterwards. Um, but yeah, I, I it was just you know I got to write about games and play games and get free games and then you know, when myself and Tim Moore really started to kind of hit it off, we just got to write about stupid stuff that made us laugh. You know, it's literally the best <laughs> job in the world. Oh man, that's so good. I mean, you were there for, for many years, right? How long was it? Like eight years more than that? Um, well, I was, I was in house, um, probably about five, five years, four or five years. <laughs> and then, um, they were they were doing their level best to split Tim and I up because we were considered um, bad eggs and a bad influence on each other. Uh, and I went off on um, uh, paternity leave for a week. Uh, and Tim, on the day I got back, got fired for something that had happened on, on the uh, week that I was off. So, uh, but it was prior to that happening, which they were just looking for an excuse to to get rid of him, really. Okay. Um, uh prior to that happening they were they told tim he had to work from home and this was kind of because they felt oh well paul's been employed as a graphics artist and we need him for that um you know tim's some sort of bad influence on paul and makes him mess about and want to write about video games rather than doing graphics which which <laughs> tim was no influence on me whatsoever <laughs> I, was, I was quite capable of influencing myself badly so uh but then Tim suddenly was gone. Um, but yet they still had a, 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 a Teletext game section, which needed someone to write it because they had uh, advertising on that page. They couldn't just pull it. And there was no yeah. one else in house who knew about games enough. So I ended up going full time on it. And it was it was only ever meant to be temporary. They were always wanted to pull me back to graphics. But um, I did this for a couple of months and I just thought, you know, I'm not enjoying this. Tim's not here. You know, I missed my mate who, yeah. you know, he made kind of going to work worthwhile. So I thought, well, they were going to make Tim work from home on a freelance basis. So I just went to them one day, fully expecting to tell me to get lost and say, no, you're going to be a graphics guy. Um, and I wrote him a letter to the editors and said, um, you know, I'd quite like to go freelance, right? Full time. If that's all right. And that was kind of six years or so of, of Digi. I was writing from home. And in, on, the, on the side, Tim and I were writing scripts for sitcoms. <laughs> so I got to work with him again. Oh, amazing. Um, so, so like, before sort of skipping over that whole period, is there any specific, like, games or things you wrote that kind of are particularly memorable or impactful for you? Oh, God, so many games. I mean, you know, the Snares was my system of choice during those years uh you know and uh, one game i really remember which was um terribly overlooked at the time was uni rally i don't know if you remember that i do it was I a, do. a unicycle game 
It was amazing. I, I loved it. Uh, P- Pixar uh, killed it. That's why it's yeah. not remembered. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. There you go. Because um, they only released like yeah, a limited so amount, and then Pixar killed it. So it's a shame because it was an amazing game. Uh, it was. It's it's uh, yeah. It needs to you know have a bit of a resurgence in its um in its reputation because it it uh, I really love Uni Rally, and I think probably I liked it because yeah, it was a it it wasn't um so fondly remembered. So you, you, um, the, the big moment for me was getting a PC, um, and that was during the Digi days. And I, I got a PC specifically to play Dark Forces, and that okay, mind. Yeah, it was Star Wars. That's the Star know. Wars kind of FPS game, right? Yeah, and God, I mean, it's still one of my favourite games even now. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it was uh, you know, I'd, I'd enjoyed Doom, but this was, yeah, this was Star Wars. This was Doom as you know, Doom star wars it was um it was fantastic yeah that was that was a real turning point for me you know i was a big pc gamer for many years after that and did you ever sort of get jaded like you know not jaded that's the wrong word but just kind of like you weren't enjoying playing games as much because you were just doing it all the time no no never that's i'm very glad to hear that yeah, that's never happened to me. There was a period, I think, after I left Digi where I didn't play games as much for a little while. But it was, I think that wasn't so much that I was kind of suffering from the old chocolate factory syndrome where, you know, you never want to see a bar of chocolate again. It was it was yeah. more that I just missed doing Digitizer and playing games reminded me of it, really. So, um, yeah, so I avoided them for a while after that. But no, no, I've, I've never really become jaded. There's, if I ever go through a kind of phase where I'm going, oh, God, it's another first-person shooter that looks like the last 10 first-person shooters, there'll always be another one round the corner or there'll be some indie game or I'll be able to go back and play some game on an emulator. There's, there's always something games-wise that, that makes me happy. Yeah, no, and it's better than it's ever been. Like it's it's incredible. Um, yeah, so while you were running uh, running Digi, was there a point where you started to like? Were you aware of how popular it was? Like, did you ever sort of start to feel like, oh, we we might be onto something here? Well, kind of. I mean, we used to get the the viewing figures through, and you know, it was something ridiculous, like one point five million a week. Um, but that's that's kind of abstract. You know, had we been writing digi in Wembley Stadium and you know there are 1.5 million people sitting in front of us we might might have kind of been able to wrap our heads around that but it's kind of abstract when it's just a a number from the marketing department going oh look you're doing really well uh we got a lot of letters I mean loads of letters um yeah 100 or more every single day but um yeah we kind of and did you read them all always kind of a bit yeah, yeah, we always went through them. I mean, you know, it was it was one of the highlights of the day, you know, when we knew the poster was ready. We'd go down and get it. We'd, you know, Tim would take half, I'll take the other half, and we'd just sift through them. It was, Did you ever get anything good. really weird? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We had <laughs> um, we had one guy that we had to um, contact the police about who um, started sending us uh, letters that would just be covered with text without a beginning or an end um, and would ramble on about how we were sending him subliminal messages through the screen and then he sent a letter one day that was apparently covered in feces um, so that, that had to be addressed uh, 
Um, let, let's do our best to see if we can get through another 10 minutes. Um, okay. <laughs> so, w- which game are you best at? We know this is a tricky question. I might leave in all the cuts in because it's quite funny. Um, all right. So you're not good at any game, you, you, you see? I don't think so. Not competitive to a kind of proper hardcore gamer. Um, I was quite good at Tetris back in the day. No, actually, do you know what? I was good at Zoo Tycoon. Okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know if you know Zoo Tycoon. I do, no, yeah. not Zoo Tycoon, Zookeeper. Zookeeper, that's the game. That was the, the one I was thinking the, of, the, the match three one, yeah? Blocks. Yeah, 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 I was good at that. And I would like to see you play a game with death, a game of Zookeeper. That would be very entertaining. Yeah, and my other half actually is just putting a face at me because she thinks she's good at it as well. So, we used to play each other against, uh, yes, on uh, on our phones. So, yeah, Zuki, but I love that game. That's the perfect incentive to beat your partner. Okay, well, let, let's, let's do our best. <laughs> um, next question. Um, oh, I can't even remember the question, though. No, let's go with this because, you know, you're, you're a, a funny man. You're an excellent writer. What games have made you laugh? Uh, very few, believe it or not. Um, I, I, I it's think... a tricky genre. That's why I ask. It is, and you know, I mean, I guess in terms of comedy games, I used to like the Leisure Suit Larry games, but that was kind of laughing at them in a, a sort of fifteen-year-old boy way. Um, it was like, ooh, ooh there's some, some boobs, and they're talking about arms yeah. and things. So, uh, but I don't know. I, it's weird, isn't it? I. I can't think of any games that i would say i find really funny in the way that i can with films or tv shows yeah outside of like multiplayer stuff maybe where you know you laugh at others misfortune or your own in many cases yeah yeah you know there's some there's some funny kind of little quirky indie games but in terms of the big games something that that they've not really nailed yet is is making games funny yeah absolutely um okay so what game has there ever been a game that you've had to kind of push out of your life and walk away from because it was a bit too all all consuming all consuming um i'm pretty good at not getting consumed by things i think Uh, there's certainly been games that i've got too angry at (laughs) that i've had to stop playing um because they they became too frustrating super star wars or snares um I, I very badly hurt my hand while playing that um, because I, I kept dying. Well, this this leads me into the next question perfectly then, which is what was your worst rage quit? Uh, oh, well, the worst one, without a doubt, the, the Donkey Kong game and watch, um, the the old oh, the really? orange clamshell one, uh, which I I threw it across the living room because um, <laughs> I died. And it, um, it hit the, the, the opposite wall. And I, I was like, oh, God, what have I done? And I went over there with this sinking feeling. And, yeah, I cracked one of the screens and all the liquid crystal had, had kind of dribbled out. And I, I tried to tell my mother that I dropped it down the stairs, but she didn't buy it. So, yeah, it's <laughs> that. That that, and then closely followed by Super Star Wars, which I I punched the sofa um and somehow missed the cushions and hit this wooden um oh, God. <laughs> really hurt myself. so I, that tends not to happen anymore i think games have got easier anyway but um yeah that, that was only last year though yeah, right that's it yeah they got easier since then yeah <laughs> uh excellent excellent um so when like why did you leave digitalizer was it was it because of uh, the tv stuff started to pick up um it was partly and that. was it a tough decision that was it was it was 
it kind of wasn't a tough decision in that that I'd kind of been pushed to it. That they, you know, partly through my own fault and partly because of just Chinese whispers, the, there was this sense that, that Digitizer was trouble, really. So we'd gone through this. <laughs> period where they'd, they'd removed all the humor from the the site and reduced my salary by um half to punish me um and so I, what I, on earth did you were you doing that 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 caused this this sort of uh sense of wanting to get rid of and like sacking your your your, your co-writer the, and then the, the trying sense to get of humor you was, what had you done well okay i mean putting it in the words of the guy that kind of finally stripped all the humor from it they in their words the humor was um it excluded people that was that was their words in other words um it wasn't funny um the humor. <laughs> so they wanted us to stop being not funny um so so i kind of had to go through these six months or nine months i think it was of, of writing digi because i couldn't just quit you know i i, I had a mortgage yeah. and stuff so um i had to kind of do it limping on um and uh, you know, without all the, the humour. And then the letters just were incessant, um, so much so that Teletext asked me to to bring all the humour back. Um, and, yeah, which I was very happy to do. You know, the, the guy that had, um, you know, been so horrible to me nine months previously, you know, I've never seen anyone eat so much humble pie. Oh, that must have been a satisfying day. Yeah, and that's kind of really, although there was a little bit more to it, but really that was why I left because it was like, you know, it doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> How am I ever going to top this if it just carries on? You know, it's just, I'm just going to go through it all again. Yeah, it had been 10 years. I was, yeah, the TV work was starting to pick up that it, it felt like a risk, but a kind of calculated risk that there was a fair chance that I'd sort of land on my feet and, you know, it was, uh, yeah, I did, thankfully, but I missed it. Yeah. I really did miss it. And was it after you left that they changed it to Game Central or did they keep up Digitizer for a little bit? Uh, no, they, they, yeah, they went straight to Game Central. They felt um, that it was too tied to me. And I think given them so many headaches that they just wanted to sweep its memory <laughs> under the carpet as much as possible so yeah it became game central straight away one of my friends actually uh wrote that he he's been on the show before a friend my friend Stephen. he wrote for game central for uh, many years what's his surname? until it until it closed Stephen bailey oh uh, okay yeah I, I well i think tony mott ran it and then Stephen bailey was like the main freelancer right okay yeah um, i mean i i, I have like to that. confess I didn't ever read it. It was just too painful. You know, I never once looked at it. I mean, literally not once, not the first day or, or beyond. So what, um, so you left and you started working in TV, like straight away, I guess you've been like pitching stuff for a while. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing, uh, I'd already written, um, sooty of all things. Um, so that was alongside digitizer. And then the, in the, the year after I left, I got um, a show called My Parents Are Aliens that I was writing on, um, EastEnders I wrote an episode of, and it just all sort of took off from there, really. Um, so, you And know, did I, Mr. Biffo help? Do you think, like, did people know you from Teletext? No, no, it's never, that has never, ever had any impact on my TV career whatsoever. Uh, I, I've met people who know about Mr. Biffo in the course of it, but um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's never made a blind bit of difference um, ever. 
That's good though. That's the, you're clearly a, a very good writer. And ha, like, how was the the transition? Like, were you? Did you have like um, uh, withdrawal symptoms? Uh, I I did, but I'm, I were you like only... scrolling reviews on the wall and stuff. <laughs> I think, but I was I was writing for Edge magazine, a monthly column for them as well. Oh, of course, uh, yeah, I remember. So I got that itch scratched to a degree. Um, I mean, I think I did miss Digitizer more than I acknowledged at the time. And, you know, I can only say that now with hindsight, uh, you know, and then I, I established a blog and I, I kind of wrote for that for a long time. And so I was, um, you know, I was kind of getting my writing or, you know, sort of non TV writing um, needs met in certain ways. But yeah. I think there was always that sort of digitizer shape hole in my heart uh you know it'd been 10 years it become a big part of me and did you like um did you i mean you met you mentioned this earlier but did your relationship with games change did you kind of drift away for a bit briefly uh it didn't last long i mean you know god as soon as as you know the xbox 360 came out i was i was firmly back in there with with both feet and that that was that was the time at which I, I, I guess I, I really loved the Xbox 360, um, you know, and that was the point at which I kind of, I guess, started my second love affair with games, really. Uh, you know, it was, it, it, and, I, and that was, you know, when you talked about being tribal earlier, it was, it got a lot of stick, the 360, um, when it first came out and everyone was kind of, you know, Sony fanboying. And actually I, I hated, what was it? at that point would it have been the ps3 it was PS- ps3 yeah it was PS- the direct yeah. thing and I, yeah. the 360 was was um, better in every way pretty much it was yeah you know and i remember talking to people and then go oh no i hate the xbox 360 you know ps3's the, and it was like no i hated the interface of the ps3 and so i came a bit i became a bit 360 um and you know I, I hated the playstation joy pads and you know it was yeah so uh that was the point at which, you know, probably, I don't know, three years after I left Digi that I, I started really loving games again. And did it ever, like, I mean, like, I, I'm a writer. I write I write scripts. I, I attempt TV stuff and I do stage stuff. Oh, and, right. okay. and I find I find games very useful in some aspects to kind of help, because they can obviously be like a full-on procrastination goldmine. But sometimes, especially I've noticed this with kind of with puzzle games or, or music games, like games that are purely, there's no story, there's no context. It's just, you know, I want to hit buttons and get get bacon, essentially. I find that quite good for just kind of <laughs> working through an idea and letting something tick over in your subconscious. Do you have like, uh, do you have rules when it comes to games when you, you know, you're on a deadline? I'm, I'm pretty good with just sitting there and trying to write. Um, a lot of the time I will sit there and not write, but I will be telling myself I'm trying to write. Uh, you know, I'll be procrastinating in all sorts of ways. But uh, it was there's a there was a quote I read years ago from um, Graham Linhan, who, who wrote Father Ted, amongst many other things, who is a big gamer, and he described writing as as basically everything. Whether you're going to the shops or sitting down playing games, you're still writing. You know the the so cogs true. in your brain is still churning. You know, and it's all. It, yeah, at the same time there's part of me that feels so guilty uh, um, yeah how do you justify that? that yeah you know how do you explain that to anyone you yeah. can't you know and I, I i still struggle to overcome that you know 
I try to stay glued to my laptop and look as though I'm working, even though a lot of the time it isn't happening. I mean, today, it's rare that I ever do this, but today was one of the rare days where it was, you know, I was trying to write stuff for found footage, the, the Kickstarter project, and it just wasn't happening. And so I kind of went, you know, this is just getting me down. So I went and played Titanfall 2. Um, you know, it, it, that doesn't happen often, but I needed it. You know, occasionally I just need to kind of go, right, I've got to stop trying so hard and and do something else and games are you know my way of doing that more often than not and since you are a writer like what is your 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 view of uh, of stories in games do you, do you care about stories in games i i'm incredibly passionate about stories in games because most of them are terrible uh, <laughs> it's so rare i think that they get it right and it but more than story the thing that really matters to me is is emotion and connection with your character uh you know the 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 games that immediately spring to mind that get it right uh the uncharted series you know which are fantastic but titanfall 2 which i just mentioned that does a lot right as well there's a real bond between your character and um this big kind of faceless robot tank thing yeah they've done a really i i don't actually know what's going on in story there's this kind of you know time travel and all sorts of other stuff going on i don't really know but it doesn't matter because you know i've got this this kind of weird relationship with a big robot yeah um, it gives you dodgy, a, a nice <laughs> it gives you nice context for what you're doing there it gives it kind of that extra sort of frisson it doesn't really matter yeah. about the, the grand the, the difference between like story and law you know which a lot of yeah, games kind it, of it, mistake well they yeah they kind of you're absolutely right you know it's why i struggle with a lot of rpgs because it's all about you know so much text it's like i don't need to know that backstory you know just tell me what's motivating the character give me a reason to like him um or her uh, and I'm in. Um, but and something that I really struggle with as well in games is, is cutscenes. And again, Titanfall 2 doesn't really have any cutscenes. It, it opens with one and then that's it. All the storytelling is, it kind of happens in game. It's either over your headset, it, communicating with a robot or, you know, it's, it, or it's, it's kind of textural. It, it, it's stuff that's, that's there in the world that you're in you know it's you don't stop and pick up a um you know an audio log to listen to it or read someone's journal or something there's none of that but you know yet it's far more effective than it's storytelling than something like i don't know the witcher 3 yeah absolutely and and do you like has that been has that ever been something that you you've thought about trying to get into like kind of marrying the two things and writing for games um i did did write a a story for a game called future tactics year, years ago um for some guys called the pickford brothers who are very, oh, very lovely yeah john Stee. um so i wrote the script for that uh and yeah i would love to do it um you know but i think it's important that if you're going to get a writer involved they need to be involved from the ground up yeah because um, you know you see it with with the, the the two recent tomb raider games um rihanna pratchett who's a very good writer but you know she's kind of she sort of it feels like she's a slave to the 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 game if you like rather than the story informing the game the game informs what what she's able to do in terms of storytelling so she's yeah there's lots of cutscenes and it just feels clunky and old-fashioned and you know there's there, there has to be yeah a better way and actually you know the game that did it really really well years ago was half-life 2 and cool. it's so few games sort of followed that 
that template since. Um, and that's one um, of the things you know, people say about Timefall. It's like the, the the relationship with the robot is the same as like the the dog. Was it the dog in Half Life Two? The big dog? Yeah. Oh, completely. Oh, they, they, it's it's shameless. What they've done? <laughs> you know, it's very it's very Valve. But um, you know, hell, you know, Valve aren't really doing much at the moment other than running Steam. So you know, I don't have an issue with that because um, it works. I still have faith that Half Life Three is going to happen. Uh, I think, well, maybe on VR. That seems to be the the the, the one that everyone's holding out for. There'll yeah. be some sort of half VR game. We'll see. Oh, it'll be it'll be wonderful. So, so how like you've got a family now and stuff? Like, do you play with the family? And you said you had a competitive uh, Zoot Zookeeper game with your your wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we're. Um... We, the, I'll tell you what's what's brought us together recently is is PlayStation VR. It's got that thing that the Wii used to have, where you kind of all want to take have you know take turns having a go on it. You know, it's like oh, you've got to try this. And I mean, some of the games on there are really clever. The way they are actually two player games with you know one person playing using the and um, another person with a headset. Uh, yeah, I think it, that's it, a super it, clever move, like having the the display like on the on the TV because otherwise it'd be properly kind of antisocial and it still is pretty antisocial but not quite as badly well it is but there's somehow uh, it it's defied what i expected it to be it's actually been the opposite it's been a really social experience playing with this thing because everyone wants to go on it and it's i i mean i've described it as as you know it's like having a theme park in your living room that that's really what it feels like it's um you know and in the same way as you know the you know if i go to a theme park with the family it's we'll do the single rider line you know you don't need to go on the rides with other people you know you can go on there with strangers you know but afterwards you kind of go oh wasn't that cool what about that bit where we did this that and the other and it's it's got that feel to it but it's yeah. got um something that the Wii had when that first came out which the Wii U didn't um somehow but um i miss that you know so it's really lovely that that you know psvr was completely you know upended my expectations of it yeah it's totally something you could imagine like people gathering around on christmas like let's have a go on the vr amazing get get nan in the yeah, vr see how yeah. she reacts yeah I'm, I'm hoping to get my mum down here to have a go at some point like i've already um, seen there's loads of videos on facebook of people like look at my my grandmother playing the shark tank so that's pretty cool <laughs> but it's also very good so yeah how are things um now do you still love games as much like i mean clearly the vr has been a big hit uh yeah yeah i mean i you know this is part of why i i kind of brought digitizer back with, with digi 2000 was um you know i missed writing about games i missed because i haven't got a lot of mates who are gamers i've got a few um but uh on the whole they're you know i don't know they've got other things going on in their lives whereas, whereas i've never quite grown out of games and so Digi has has given me back that kind of community sense that that I think games offer, uh, you know. And it's 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 that I guess I miss from from school is is you know you you know it, it's less and less with TV and things these days, you know, because we're all watching different things and we're all I don't know playing different things. But at school when I was a kid, you know, you'd watch Grange Hill and everyone would go in the next day and go, oh, did you see that? And totally, I yeah. Think that's what I. Yeah, you know, that's what I like about Digi that I, you know, nowadays is that it, it gives me an outlet to talk about games with a whole bunch of like-minded people. And do you uh, was there were there people that kind of 
had kind of stuck with you like people coming back from the original yeah. did you get like people used to write letters like oh amazing yeah i mean it's pretty much i'd have said 99 of the people <laughs> that read my website now are old school digi fans and you know i'm sure that's the case for people that have backed me on kickstarter but uh the there are there have been a few that have actually said you know oh i didn't really read digitizer um but i really like the the, the website now and that that's nice to know absolutely um, yeah um, but at the same time, yeah, you know, it's fine. I'm happy to kind of, you know, pedal the nostalgia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I know where my bread is buttered. And see, you know, I, I just remembered what I was going to ask you. And it, it's a bit of a non sequitur, but I think I'm going to have a lot of editing to do anyway on this one. So it's fine. I'll, I'll plug it in somewhere. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, when you were uh, writing for Digitizer, was... Like I imagine when it started, the internet wasn't as much of a big thing, and it sort of gradually became a, an ever sort of pre- this presence looming over you. Was it? Did you feel that kind of like the internet breathing down your neck? And you're like, oh, there's not, not long for really. this world with teletext. No, really, really not. Um, I mean, I remember the 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 first time I kind of really heard about the internet was a um, publisher from future publishing came into teletext office because we had a bit of a tie up with them in that we gave away subscriptions to their magazines for our letter of the week. And I remember him coming in and saying to us, you'd need to get digitize a website up. He said, you know, I, <laughs> I remember him saying now it sort of feels sort of so weird to think of someone kind of telling you, you know, Oh, you've got to, you've got to keep your eye out for this thing called the internet. Cause I've got a feeling it's going to be big. And they, I remember him saying those words and us kind of going, Oh yeah, right, right. You know, yeah, of course it is. It's going to be like the C5 or something like that. Um, you know, and, and he was proved completely right. But teletext, uh, you know, they got a website up. Um, yeah, we had a kind of digitizer page on it, but it wasn't our focus because, you know, we continued to kind of get big, uh viewing figures you know people continue to read um for uh, yeah until teletext got rid of all the humor and then yeah. our our figures dropped off a cliff um so well done them but um you know it it, it uh it kind of crept up on me really i you know and then i got the internet at home and i got a pc and i remember we went to the launch of aol um in the uk um but somehow i don't know it never it never felt like a threat i mean obviously it was it was an enormous threat to teletext yeah. and you know actually what consumed them but not in the time i was there i mean i left 2003 and although the internet was obviously still you know it, it was massive at that point you know teletext it was still going somehow um but then when it did it did die it died very very suddenly yeah it's a shame but I mean, I suppose with especially with with something like like Digitizer, it was uh, like we like this kind of been a regular theme through the show. It had a kind of a singular voice to it, and you know that's just you you go for the voice. It doesn't matter like where you're receiving the information from. It's just I just want to go and read. This is my kind of community. This is my 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 site. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something I've sort of. Yeah, for a long time, I try to work out what is it that people like about Digitizer, and I think it is that. Um, and but I don't think I, I can write any other way. You know, I, I don't certainly on my own site. You know, I try to be as honest and real and truthful as I can be on there, and um, I think people respond to that because there is, you know, there's a lot of sort of BS out there, and people, you know, either writing to 
some corporate agenda or they're trying to be something they're not. And I think, you know, people want honesty and they want to feel that the, yeah, and it's the same in life, day-to-day life. They want to know that the person they're communicating with isn't hidden behind a mask. So Absolutely. So I, I try not to hide behind a mask. And was there ever any kind of, con- not controversy, but like pushback from publishers or anything with it, like in the same way you hear with magazines? Like, why did you give us a uh, Oh, yeah, they tried it on. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, yeah, we used to get, you know, angry people <laughs> bringing us up all the time. That, that was relatively common. But on the whole... Um, publishers kind of let left us alone um yeah we did um you know they didn't kind of wine and dine us as much as i think the magazines used to get you know because it was we couldn't i don't know we weren't sexy we weren't glamorous you know we couldn't have screenshots up so they sort of kept away from us really and then um yeah until occasionally we'd sort of do a a review where we gave them 12 percent or something like that and then they'd be furious with us so you know oh, well, you, should have, you should have taken us to la <laughs> no that never happened we never said that we were never bought uh- hello hello i'm actually this is my phone now so oh okay that's that helps well, we'll see. Well, we're pretty much done anyway. I think we've covered everything. But if there's anything that hasn't come up that you wanted to mention, please do now. And also, you know, let people know where they can find your stuff online. Um, yeah, well, I've got um, www.digitizer2000.com um, and go and have a look at Digitizer 2000 on YouTube uh, and go and have a look for Mr. Biffo's found footage on Kickstarter. Was that was that good for you, aside from all the, the, the relentless <laughs> no, technical no, no, interruptions? Yeah. Yeah, well, I hope you can make sense of it. <laughs> I'll maybe just release it as is and let people think, eh? I'll, it'll be some new wave of avant-garde post-garding. Post-garding? Post-podcasting. Thank <laughs> you.